This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to This is the Place, a podcast series from The Common Magazine on the New Books Network. The Common publishes literature and art with a modern sense of place. I'm Emily Everett, managing editor of the magazine and host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Romeo Oriogun about his poem, The Sea Dreams of Us, which appeared in issue 22 of The Common. Romeo Oriogun is the author of the 2020 poetry collection, Sacrament of Bodies. A finalist for the Lambda Literary Award for Gay Poetry, he has received fellowships and support from the Ebony International Writers Residency, Harvard University, the Hutchins Center for African and African American Research, the Oregon Institute for Creative Research, and the IIE Artist Protection Fund. An alum of the Iowa Writers Workshop, he currently lives in Ames, where he's a postdoctoral research associate at Iowa State University. Romeo Oriogun, thanks for joining us. Thank you for the invite and for creating the space. It's um, amazing to be here. Oh, great. It's it's my pleasure. Uh, would you set the scene for our conversation? Just describe where you're living and calling from now for our for our listeners. Um, I currently live in Ames, so um, I'm in my living space, and yeah, that's just it. <laughs> um, I have not been to Iowa for many, many years, but I remember it being uh, very pretty and very flat. Is it still like that? <laughs> it's still flat. It's still pretty. I, I kind of like it. I, I love small towns. Amy is technically a college town. Um, even when I was in Nigeria, I lived in small towns. So it's kind of my my speed. So, I, so I'm loving it here. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I do love a small town. I am also in a small town. <laughs> I'd love to start off with a reading. Would you read your poem from issue 22 for us? Yeah. The sea dreams of us. Before the sea became my journey, it was love, folk tales. It was our origins staring at us. It was our shadows. Then the ships of migration came, reminding us that years back, people left in canoes loaded with hope, with spices, seafarers who navigated water, holding stars in their bosoms until the sky became road. We never saw them, only heard the rumors, only heard the grill wings at the world's end, becoming ancestors, becoming what we hear in the water at night. 
I am telling the story to a girl in Accra, sitting before the sea, watching boats named for souls who grew wings. She laughs over a beer, saying, I was once the day, I was once hope, maybe love. I have given up country to be here, by the seaside, where what looms over me is uncertain. I have committed no offense except to love a man, which I know mm. is the word fear. For what burns the world quicker than desire? There is no rest in exile. There is only the road echoing in blood, the road echoing in water, and we both know it, both of us. Even when drunk, home is our breath. The girl laughs at the sea, saying, Our bodies are countries outside of borders. We watch the night, the return of boats, the sky above Accra. The horizon beckons, the ship waits with our journey. What have you given up? I ask her. Exile is also silence, she says. We walk to the sea. What story I carry lives in me. What story I cannot tell lives in me. As the ship departs, I wonder who will tell my story. Will they give me wings? Will they make me fly? Thank you for reading that. There are so many lines in this poem I love. It's, it's really a treat to hear you read them. I feel like exile is a theme that, that runs through this piece, obviously. And I also noticed that your, your Twitter bio says that you're a Nigerian poet in exile. Can you just tell us more about that? Um, yeah. So I left home in 2018 after winning um, the Brunel African Prize for Poetry. Um, and the poems I used in winning the prize were poems that spoke about the queer experience in Nigeria, um, especially the, the lower class queer experience in Nigeria. And I had no idea people read a lot of poetry <laughs> um, because until then I had this very, you know, um, small circle of friends where we write poems on Facebook and trade poetry among ourselves. But after the prize, it, it became a very big deal um, on social media and um, also on certain blogs. And I was attacked twice, and so I had to leave home. Um, and I went to Ghana, which um, where, where the poem, where I wrote this poem, obviously. And um, I think for the first time in my life, living home, I met a large group of young people who, in a way, were also either moving into exile or passing from one country to another. And everyone had their own stories. And, and it was just this community of, of people who um, met each other on the road. And and I, and I think um, that's what better this poem. But um, exile is a condition that I think I'm still living through, even, even here in the US. Um, and, and like I, I can't just pack up my bag one day and say I want to go home. Um, that is not a, that's not a choice that I do have. I wish I do have that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I think that's just it, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me because um, I don't know if you've read a lot more of, of issue 22 uh, that your poem appears in, but it has a, a portfolio of work from the Arabian Gulf countries. And a lot of those pieces are about exile as well, because I think a lot of people who grow up in the Gulf can't return for one reason or another. Um, you know, lots of times it's like citizenship issues and immigration issues and that kind of thing. But um, this feeling of the disconnect of, of not being able to, to go home anymore or, you know, still having people back home and not being able to see them is is something that, that runs a lot through that, that issue in general. Um, so it's nice that it also runs through your poem. 
feel like when I'm when I'm talking to prose writers, I usually ask them at this point to sort of summarize their essay or story that we're talking about, since our listeners probably haven't read it yet. Um, but since we've all heard your poem now, and, and since it seems sort of sacrilegious to to summarize a poem, <laughs> I, I'd love to know if, if there's any line or aspect of this poem that, that you'd like to draw listeners' attention to, something to linger on, something you hope that they don't miss. I mean, I think this poem in itself um, speaks to a larger diasporic um, experience, one that goes back and back and back in years. Um, so the idea of, of people navigating water. Um, I think I came to the U.S., so before even coming to the U.S., having read, read a lot of Caribbean and, and Black um, American literature, the idea of the flying African um, during the days of slavery, where it's, it's like, oh, you know, um, someone who has been enslaved can suddenly develop wings and fly back to their community on, on the African continent. Um, and then growing up also back home, I'm visiting the village and talking to my grandma. Uh, there are stories also told, told to us about people who set out to navigate the world. Uh, and sometimes they, you know, the idea that the world was flat um, and all of that stuff, and that sometimes they just like fly from one place to the other. So there's a way in which I, I mean, it's a long shot, but it's, I was writing to that experience of, of the idea of, of, of return, the idea of, of navigating life, the idea of what it means to, to yearn from home, um, to yearn for home. Um, and that's kind of like a very universal black experience in respect of where we find ourselves. So I, I think it's something I was like writing true, um, to get to what I want to get to. So, yeah, I think that's the only thing I hope people do get. Why it's uh, <laughs> not very obvious in the poem. Oh, no, that's great. I love hearing you um, explain it like that. One thing that I love about this poem is that it's sort of expansive. It's talking about, you know, like you just said, it's talking about these the, these really big things like exile and, and longing for home and folk tales and ancestors and sort of generational feel, but also centers on this really small, casual moment, these two friends talking over a beer. Um, can you talk about joining those sort of those two things together in the poem? I mean, for me, I, I think when you grow up in a place where history is like, always in front of you and one's life is something that comes out of history and walk back into history. That's a way it doesn't feel that expansive to me. Um, I've always grown up, like I grew up around people who were always um, telling stories. Like most folk tales are something, uh, are stories that have been like, you know, woven through history kind of like diluted to say, hey, you know, this happened and that happened. And and so when I started writing poems, um, I never thought about what's expansive and what's so small and, and those details and all right. of that. It was just a natural way um, for me to write poetry. Because I, I, I think um, that the, the, I try like the West African way of preserving history has always been this very, you know, you, you take something so big and then you anchor it with something so relatable. So what is relatable becomes what makes you remember it. Uh, and so they're like Greit, who are historians, for example, with Mali um, and Senegal, and people who like the Yoruba Oriki and, and, and Ewi. And so it's, it's always been something I've studied over time. Um, because I'm coming out from that tradition, and there's a way, there's a way in which I want my poem to also speak 
um, to that tradition in which my life came out from. So yeah, so I think that's just just it for me. But I'm always also also looking for that tender moments um, in a poem. That moments that always uh, just like kind of like surprises you. That sudden turn. And so when I'm writing a poem, I'm, I'm always asking myself, at what moment do I realize that what I'm writing it's it's not just history, but something I I also carry within me. Yeah, and so I think in this poem, for example, that's what I, I try to do. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. So I only write prose, so I'm always sort of mystified in the best possible way by the process of, of writing poetry. And so I'm curious to know if there's a specific moment that inspired you to sit down and start work on this poem, or, or is, is writing a poem much more unconscious than that? Do poems sometimes surprise you as they're coming out on the page? I think that, I think both things are true. Um, so this poem was a poem I wrote in Accra. It was a very, um, it was at night. And so, um, so Kokobite Beach, which is, um, which is on the coast of, like close to Kaswa, where I used to live when I was in Ghana. I normally go there every evening to just sit down, have some drinks, um, and just watch the sea. And on that day, there was this girl who came to meet me. I think she was from Malawi, and she was just telling me the story of how she came to be in Accra. And and at that point, I was like, oh, it's interesting, like two strangers meeting in a strange country. Um, mm. And out of all the millions of people in the city, we happen to still find each other. And then to talk about exile, because it was basically us talking about home. Mm. And I think it was a, a moment in which I was feeling very lonely, and here was this stranger who was offering companionship to me, and that companionship was in form of a story. And when I went home that night, I started thinking about ships and stories that ships carry within them. Um, and I started thinking about, you know, the number of people who travel around the world every single day, um, the number of people who, you know, um, the continent, the African continent itself is a continent of travel. There's always movement. There's always people going from one country to the other. There's always people also leaving the continent and traveling via, you know, the sea, especially the Mediterranean these days to other places. And I, and I think there's a way in which those things um, came together um, for me because anytime I write a poem, I'm always, um, I'm always asking myself these larger questions of life, but using my own experience to see if I can answer it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious about life. It's um, it's something that I've, I've always stayed with me. I'm always um, asking myself what's possible. And I think it's also true that poems do surprise me or, or do surprise people. Um, there are poems I have only, for example, the first line, and I'm like, oh, someone said this in a bus today, and I think it's an interesting concept to think about. Mm-hmm. And I start thinking about it through lines. Um, poetry has always been a way for me to understand myself and also to understand the world. And as a child, um, my grandma, my mom, which are the people I, I grew up around a lot, um, always do tell stories. And most of those stories were songs. And when I started writing poems, I realized those songs could be could actually be poetry. And and, and so right from time, mm-hmm. it's like stories and poems and, and songs are folktales. 
another song, just ways in which you know uh, the world the world can be understood, and I, and I think I'm still trying to honor that tradition somehow. I love that idea that there's sort of like maybe the lines between like what's what's prose, what's poetry, what's you know what's a folktale, what's a story. That are, those are a little blurrier there. That's that's sort of appealing to me. Like liter- literature and storytelling being more part of regular life and not this sort of occasional habit that we do. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's um. So when I left Nigeria, which is one of the most interesting thing about about exile, is that you start seeing the world as not the strange place because you have to make sense of wherever you are, and then you have to find home. <laughs> no matter, mm. and it doesn't matter if home is just like two days, one week. Like at least for me, that's what I did. Um, and one of what those things did for me was that I started looking at the tradition of of poets in those countries or in those communities. And I think I was just curious because I I always saw poetry as not what was brought to us, you know, like the whole idea of like oh the colonized mind. Um, being given this genre of literature to explore, but rather mm-hmm. I was seeing poetry as something that's well deep rooted in our own beings and in our own traditions. And moving around West Africa actually kind of like confirmed that to me. So it's like there's like this blending of of genres that yeah, when you start writing in English, it becomes you can't somehow you can't really do that. But when you're writing or you're listening. It's so blurry that, in a way, it's something that I still try to do when I write in English. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So I have sort of a similar curiosity about, about the revision process for poets. And I know I'm sure it depends a lot on, on which poem you're talking about. But I wonder if you could tell us, like, is this final version of the poem very different than the first draft? Or are there, like, tips or techniques that you always go to when you're trying to revise a poem? Um, Okay, this is going to be contrary to what I tell my students. I always tell my students when it's of writing a poem and people have to go back and go back. Well, I, I think for me, um, a poem normally starts with me thinking about something. I think it takes days sometimes and then I just write it. And I think maybe that really should happen internally. Mm-hmm. And, and, then I, and then I write it. I'm like, oh, okay. Because there's a way in which, and, and unknowingly to me, um, because I think someone pointed this out to me some time ago, and I'm like, oh, it makes sense, you know. Um, I write poems on average, maybe 10 minutes, and I'm done, and I don't revise it until I submit it to a journal where the editor looks at it all mm-hmm. and say, hey, why don't you twist this around? And I've been very fortunate to have good editors um, in every magazine that I've published in. Um, but I think most times, like, you know, the average of storyteller or orator in West African communities um, always improvise and, and I think it's mm-hmm. funny because I've really without me even knowing really started that tradition to the point that like, when I'm writing I'm always like oh okay doing improvisation in the poem that when I leave the poem it's so difficult for me to go back and start revising mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting I like that you're willing to admit that you don't do it you know, the revision isn't your your favorite part of the process because I feel like so many people tell me that it is their favorite part and I really don't enjoy revision at all. <laughs> oh, it's not. It's not. I, I, I like the process of writing. I, I think the process of writing a poem for me feels 
language is like magic to me. Like it, it's fun to write in English, but I really don't speak any other language other than English, unfluently. Um, and so English is like this only language that I I am attempting to master. Uh, and so I'm just like, I want to write. I want to explore language. I want to know what it is. I I want to know how to shape it. I want to know what's possible. Um, when writing a poem and what's not possible. That once I'm done, I'm already like, the thrill of writing that poem, is, I'm already exhausted that going back to revise it. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, there's just nothing as good as those those magic moments when it's just, you know, going down on the page and you don't even feel like, you know, you're part of the process. I just love it, yeah. yeah. Um, I would love to hear you read another poem. We We published The Unsung Shore online in June of last year. Would you read that for us? Oh, yeah. The Unsung Shore. Songs captured, songs sung by captured Africans to echo on our seashores, listen, grammar, and that's the epitaph before the poem. (laughs) Within the forgetfulness of the mind, a ship arrives, proclaiming the violence of ship maps. I wait for the unraveling of its meaning, and in that moment of loneliness, the shoreline sings. Those captured towards slavery are still singing the night. I still hear, still waiting for boats to turn toward land, away from ships, away from ledgers of the slave master. The land, inherit of our pain, speaks in the wailing of winds. All the dead in me are always arriving. All the dead in me are waiting by the seashore. I do not know how to sing. I only walk toward them. I only walk into water. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for reading that. I'm just thinking about how this goes along with the first poem you read, which, which is, you know, also about boats leaving the seashore um, in Africa. And it's, it's just impossible to think about that in Africa without thinking of slave ships, of course. So to me, this this poem felt almost like an answer to that first poem. I wonder, is you know, is that just my experience or do you feel like these two poems are in conversation? I mean, they're the part of a manuscript um, that will be published next year. Uh, so they're, they're like always in, like my poems, I... I'm trying to write outside of a project now, but most of my poems I write are poems I think about just wanting and I just write poems I think are answering that question. Um, yeah, I think about this poem, I was wondering what it means um, for someone in exile to engage the history of places um, and also the history of the, or, or, or the present. Because I think sometimes when people talk about exile, um, it's always in this kind of like very rootless manner or... Uh, in which the the subject has no root, and so you can only engage what is before you and not what mm-hmm. you know it's behind. And I was I was curious to to understand the past of those places where that I, I traveled through. Um, I and I think there was also that question of of slavery at the back of my mind because um, I I I think. Um, that there are points, that there are moments in time of, of that 
that event that's really so evil sometimes to speak about that that in in African communities or West African communities, um, particularly you know among the Yorubas um, where I, I belong, that does, that event is is almost not spoken about. You know, um, slavery, the participation of Africans in slavery, the aftermath of slavery, like it's just a conversation that comes and go. No one reflects on it. You know, and and I was wondering, um, and I was wondering what it means because I I, I think. A lot of my poems are actually stems from my conversation with my grandma as as a child, and I, and looking back, it's still so um, magical to have that education from her, you know, mm-hmm. because she talked about how barrier practices changed in our own village, how before the slave trade, um, if someone travels and the person dies there, they bury the body there, but after the slave trade. Um, no matter where you are in the world, if you die, your body has to be returned home so people understand that you were not stolen and you were not lost. And then you can't just people who, you know, were sold. Um, and so I think that story itself um, sparked this interest in me once I started traveling. And most I was traveling along the coast, so I was seeing the sea a lot. And I think it sparked that, that, those, those old conversations. And I wanted to ask myself, what's the role um, of an African in this present day, um, in that event, and how do I see it also as an African poet or a Nigerian poet writing um, about this this um, calamities of history? Um, and so, yeah, in a way, I think that they're in conversation. Um, I always believe that the, his- that the history and the present are always speaking to each other, mm-hmm. and we don't we don't exist in isolation. Um, and in a way, whether it's the like rupturing of relationships between black people around the world today, um, whether it's what black people are going through um, in America today, um, there's a way in which that 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 present speaks to our history, and that this history goes far back beyond um, these places to like the African continent. So I'm always um, I'm always curious in my head about what that means for me as a poet, as someone who deals with language. Um, what's the language of that time, you know? And I and I think like voices are always present. So it's like, what are these voices saying? I'm always um I'm always trying to to capture that in my poem. Mm-hmm. You did a really interesting interview with Aerosmith Press, um, which folks can watch on YouTube, and, and I'll link to it in the show notes if they want to. Um, I loved what you said about writers having a niche that they focus on, like not needing to write about every, each writer, not needing to write about everything. You can sort of choose the things that are your niche. I wonder if, if you've thought about what you would call your niche, or, or do you have a few? Does it change over time? I don't, <laughs> um, I, I, so I. I didn't grow up with religion. I actually encountered religion for the first time when I was 11. And I think there's a way in which um, it's so funny because when I encountered it, even till now, the question of whether there's a God or there's no God didn't interest me. What interested me was the rituals of, of that every religion. Like I'm, I'm curious about how human beings um, worship um, and how we speak to the things we worship. Um, and that language, and, and then the process also of discovering that language. And I think um, for me, that's the curiosity I have about, about the world. It's how do people find home? You know, um, I think that, that that's 
that discovering religion and and thinking and I, and I think this is just me thinking I don't know if it's if it's correct that sometimes religion is a way of we looking for home or we discovering what we think is home and as someone who all my life I've always felt I've never belonged to a place it just it speaks so deeply to me and I think all my poems or when I write a poem no matter what the the theme of the poem is the question has always been what is home and it's it's a question I think that religion um, actually led me to, and I've been trying to answer that question for years. I, I still don't know what the answer <laughs> is, you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's best to to not ever fully arrive at the answer. <laughs> no, I think I want to. I really want. Oh yeah. To. <laughs> no, I want. It's funny. I, I want. To. I, I think that people who are born into those worlds learn where they belong, and when they have to either move or not move. And it's you know it's a it's a it's a it's a matter of what is comfortable and what's not comfortable you know um, mm-hmm. I think for me I never had that opportunity I I was never given the opportunity to speak my own indigenous language um, I shot mm-hmm. between places and I'm still shuttling between places that for me I just wanted at this uh, I still wish for a moment of like maybe 10 years of extreme rest where I can say, oh, I belong to this place. I'm walking down the street and, and the street knows me, um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. That is not too much to ask. <laughs> um, another thing that you mentioned in that Aerosmith interview is how growing up in Nigeria, I, I think you talked about this just a little bit before, but um, that it's a culture where older people talk often in, in proverbs and, and idioms. Um, and, you know, you mentioned storytelling and then it made you focus carefully on language and how you can kind of twist or play with language. I wonder if you could just tell us more about that. Like, what does that actually look like when you're writing? I, I, I think for me, when I'm writing, and I, and I think this is the tradition of, of um, a lot of West African poetics, you in dialogue beat a lot of people, like, like you're not just in dialogue with yourself. Um, the idea of what it means to, to write a confessional poem um, changes. Um, because, and I think it's also true for a lot of immigrant poets, um, you're writing not to yourself, but you're writing to your people. And most times you're writing about secrets or traditions or rituals that your people have carried for thousands of years before it arrived into English. And so for me, I'm always like, you know, the, the play between what it means to write in this um, language and in, in this very contemporary way with this story or with this proverb or, or, or with this folktale that's literally like very old, you know. And, and so it's it's that play on language um, between, and I think it's still the same thing a lot of the times, um, um, especially in a lot of communities in Nigeria where it's like, okay, um, the pull between the old and the new, traditions, language, culture, Maybe on music itself, you know, we're having mm-hmm. a renaissance right now where a lot of Nigerian music is going global and then you, you find some very old people like we're losing the essence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's something I'm I'm always um, interested in when I when I write is how to take the old into the new. A lot of a lot of the proverbs I write with um or stories I try to like um ask myself what they mean are things that are almost untranslatable, you know. Um, and because it's funny, because I can, the language is like, for example, I understand Yoruba, but I can't speak it. 
it means that if I want to write what has been told to me in Yoruba, I, I am forced to translate it into English, even if it's right. translatable. So there's a way in which that language, like that spillage that, that comes out from that language, that translation creates its own new meanings and new ways of, of writing poems for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so always our last question, I'm always curious, uh, what are you working on now? What's next from you? Um, so uh, growing up, I, I was fascinated by the Iliad. In fact, I, 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 can, I can say when I read the Iliad, there was something in me that quickened, something just like this is what poetry should be. Mm-hmm. And I discovered, um, and I read Omeros by Derek Walcott's. Um, the Prophets by Kwame, um, Kwame Dawes and Arrivans by Kamel Brightwhite. And I think what this um, poetry books did for me was like, oh, a love for the epic. Like, I'm just, I'm so in love with like this, like poetics that just tell stories for page after page after page. And it's not like an overland verse, it's just a poetry, a poetry book. Um, okay. So I'm currently attempting to write one. I don't know if that'll be possible, but I'm just curious. Um, about what that means. So I'm trying to like um, rewrite the Odyssey as, um, I think the Odyssey itself is a story of exile. Mm-hmm. There's a way I'm trying to rewrite it um, into a story of modern day exile, especially um, for someone who's living home um, from a community in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So That just sounds amazing. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> I hope it is successful. <laughs> I hope so. I'm really trying to, because I'm trying to write this thing that's so modern, but also stay true to traditions of the past. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds great. Uh, Romeo Oryogun, thanks so much for joining us. It's been really great to talk with you today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm grateful. Listeners, you can read Romeo's poems and subscribe to the latest issue at thecommononline.org.